I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8. And I'm reading from the English, Common English Bible. In the path of your justice, Lord, we wait for you. With all our being, we long for your name and your acclaim. So Mark and I had a favorite teacher, a professor, when we were in seminary. He was European and had bright blue eyes with some wrinkle crinkles around them, a passionate personality, and a grasp for biblical knowledge that could make your head spin. His teaching on the substitutionary atonement forever changed my view on what really happened on the cross. And he was a true man of God. But one day he was explaining a verse from Romans and writing Greek words on the board, and the chalk broke. Forgetting he had his lapel mic on, he cursed under his breath. The class watched him in stunned silence as he realized we had all heard it. His face flushed, and then without missing a beat, he continued, I am sorry to expose you to those inappropriate words. Now you can use me to be exhibit A of a man who needs to be saved by grace. So many of us think as we read the request, hallowed be thy name, that Jesus is telling us to ask for the Father to deliver us from a profanity habit. And maybe if you have a profanity habit, you could interpret it that way and it would be good. And some of us need to prayerfully make that request. Profanity is never attractive. It cheapens and degrades. And although it is colorful, it's really never the best adjective available because it can be applied to everything. Foul words take no intelligence. I was reading this week about the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in Friskney, England. It had a problem with its parrots. They had bought five African gray parents who before they arrived at the zoo had learned to swear and would egg each other on to see who could swear the most aggressively whenever a human approached their exhibit. The parrots could draw a crowd and love the attention. Finally, the zoo had to separate these foul-mouthed parrots into timeout by putting them in different places in the zoo because whenever they were together, it would begin again. They would compete with each other. And I often wonder how God, who only wants to save and only wants to bless, feels when, we, when humans use his name attached to a curse. Have you ever put yourself in his place? How would you like someone else using your name like that? It would be pretty horrible. God does not want to damn anyone or anything. Do we believe that? He is not a God of wrath. That isn't his 
choice. That isn't what he wants to do. The curse is exactly the opposite of his deepest desire. A curse can make it difficult for anyone who hears it to understand who he is. And yet, our media is profanity-saturated. When our kids were small, we would say, okay, we have the three-commandment rule. The third time a commandment is broken, the TV gets turned off. So how long do we usually watch? <laughs> Maybe one or two minutes, and then it would need to be turned off. We are fed a steady stream of unholy curses. Everywhere we go, everywhere we are, it's there. Well, Brendan Kruger was the principal at Pine Tree Academy, and he's one of Mark's best friends. He was a historian and a musician before he was promoted into administration in the school. And he often came to our house to play games, the choir game. But it would be left unplayed as Mark and Brendan would talk history. And if you ever want to get Mark off topic, just ask him about history, and then you have a wonderful conversation. We will still get a call or text from Brendan whenever there is a new movie or a new book that's historical, saying, you need to watch this or you need to read that. Well, Band of Brothers came out about the World War II, and Mark and Brendan would watch it together. And they also invited our son, Andrew, who was in sixth grade. Well, you might think you know where we're going with this. Mark wanted Andrew to learn history. And so together they watched the drama, the heroism, the guts, and the glory of World War II. And together they absorbed all that colorful language. Then the day came when Andrew had an altercation with a classmate, and yeah, sometimes he did that. And he dropped several choice expletives at school, at an Adventist school. So he was sent to see Mr. Kruger, who had been hearing what Andrew had been hearing. And Mr. Kruger asked, Andrew, can you tell me where you learned these words? Both of his parents were relieved that he didn't point to us. Well, yeah, my mom or my dad do that. He said, Mr. Kruger, you know, we've all been watching Band of Brothers. And I say this not to put Band of Brothers down, but just as an example that we often just let it kind of get by unfiltered and we don't even notice. We often do movie night at Port Townsend, and a movie that I'll watch, and I'll say, oh, yes, that will be a great movie to show the little church. Then I'm showing it, and I'm thinking, oh, my, I didn't hear that the first time. And I didn't hear that, and I didn't hear that. And then I'm horrified that I've done it, too. I have put this stuff out for people to have to listen to. So I think it's about more than profanity, though, when Jesus said, hallowed be thy name. What does that really mean when he says, hallowed be thy name? First of all, isn't God's name already holy? It's already holy. It's never going to not be holy because it represents his character and he does not change. I wanted to update 
the language, so I originally entitled this sermon, Holy Is Your Name. But then I really did my study, and scholar after scholar emphasized that this is a request, not an affirmation. It's not us saying, oh God, you have a holy name. It's saying, God, let your name be made holy. It's a prayer, it's a request. The Lord's Prayer is essentially petitionary. There's six perfect requests in the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus clearly taught us to ask. And in Greek, this is um, the aorist continuous tense, so it actually is keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. So God likes it when we ask him for things. And that's just something we need to know. Jesus taught this. It is not selfish to ask for what we need. And the Lord's Prayer has six perfect petitions. The first three are about God's concerns, and the last three are about man's concerns. Well, God's concerns are given priority. We get to them first, and this is the very first request in the Lord's Prayer. He says, may your name be made holy. Um, and our needs, although they're demoted to second place, are also committed to him. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And deliver us from the evil. And it's actually evil one because of the way it's written. Deliver us from the evil one. So the Lord's Prayer has these two parts, and it's all a request. So when we're saying, hallowed be thy name, it's the very most important. It's at the very top of the list. What are we asking for? Well, God's name regularly includes his entire character. The name of someone has every little bit of their character and their behavior and everything all wrapped up in the name in Bible times. So God's name is the person he has revealed himself to be. The Bible gives God lots of different names. Can you think of some of them? Okay, let's actually make this interactive. We're small today. What are some of the names? El Shaddai. Yahweh. Yeah. King, King of Kings, Redeemer, Redeemer. Rose of Sharon. they're oh yeah. Let's be creative. Rose of Sharon, Emmanuel, God with us, Adonai, the Lord Almighty. Yeah, all kinds of different names, and those are all good and proper names of God. But when the Bible speaks the name of God, it's not just referring to his titles, but to all of his revelation. And many of the stories of the Bible, God shows up 
And he acts in a certain way, and the human gives him a name that matches the story. For example, Hagar, when she was out with um, her son in the desert and thinking they're going to starve, and God shows up, she named God the God who sees me. Isn't that lovely? The God who sees me. Sometimes I need that one. Um, Or Moses named God, the Lord is my banner, right after he had to hold his hands up so that their army could win the battle. Okay, so often the stories come up with still another name for God. Every descriptor of God can be a name for him. Beautiful one, holy one, compassionate one, almighty one. All All of those descriptive words become his names. Everything that is true about him is his name. So his name is a really big concept. It's huge. How many things could be included in his name? So which name should we use? First of all, which name did Jesus use? Abba, Father, Daddy, this intimate relational name. So you probably don't do badly if you just start there. Abba, Daddy. But I um, learned, I did a series on prayer, um, and it said, use whatever name describes the thing you're going to be asking him for. Okay? So if you need guidance to know what to do, you could call him your shepherd, or you could call him your counselor, or you could call him um, the word giver, the word. You are the word. Give me the word I need to speak. If you're afraid, you could call him my shield, or the great and mighty Lord of hosts, and imagine all the angels behind him. You can choose the name that you need as you address him. That's kind of a cool idea, isn't it? So when you find a name of God in your Bible and you're in the tendency to to mark your Bible, you might want to circle it, especially if it's an unusual one, to remind yourself to use it when you need it. Well, to hallow means to make holy. And it's hagiosthai, from the the word hagios, which is holy. And it means to treat in a special way, to hold apart from every other word. We're not to mix God's name up with anyone else's name. We're not to lump him in with others or toss his name around lightly because all of his names, not just Yahweh, his his personal name, are hallowed. They are all to be honored, respected, and treated with the reverence that they deserve. For example, if the President of the United States were to walk into the room, you'd all put on your masks, right? Today, anyway. All right? You, but you would not address him with, by his first name, right? You would not. You would say, Mr. President. 
How about if the governor were to walk into the room, would you address him as Jay? Or would you address him as Governor Inslee? So that level of recognition changes the respect with which you address the person. So we're really not supposed to start our prayers with, hey, dude, what's up? I wonder what he'd feel like if we started with, hey, dude, what's up? So we need to place that title in, at the very front of our prayers, that name at the very front of our prayers, and speak it with respect. So taking God's name is in vain is the opposite of hallowing it. The word vain means empty or without meaning. We're not supposed to use God's name unless we're actually thinking about him. Oh, that's a novel idea. We only use his name if we have him in our mind. It has to do with using, using God's name in a way that is inconsistent. If we're taking it in vain, it's not consistent with who he is. It involves stripping away the value that his name deserves. Well, Jewish worshipers regarded the name of God as so utterly sacred that they would not say it. They had little code words they'd use instead. And they would not write it unless they had a new feather for their quill in their inkwell. Well, if someone was copying the book of Isaiah, how many feathers would they need? A whole goose, right? To be able to, to write a transcript of the book of Isaiah, a new quill every time they wrote his name. It was considered irreverent to speak his name aloud. So you would just have a little gap in your sentence where his name should be, and everyone else had to figure it out. Well, the Jewish leaders took two of his names, Adonai, which means the Lord God, and Yahweh, that means I am, and they put them together. They took the vowels of the first and the consonants of the second, and they came up with the word Jehovah. And they thought, well, this really isn't his name. It's an amalgamation of the other two names. So we can say Jehovah and not be in trouble. Well, there's some people that say that's the only name you can use. But that is not his only name. That, but that is how the word Jehovah happened. It's the consonants J-H, Yahweh, basically, and Elohim together, Adonai together. Well, God actually wants us to use his name, but just not in vain. If we are speaking his name in praise, if we are speaking his name in prayer, he leans forward from the throne of grace and perks up and cups his ears and said, okay, let me hear it. Tell me, use my name. He wants us to call upon him. But hallowing his name is not just about words. It's also about attitudes and actions and habits. Well, there's no modern equivalent to the word hallowed. It's an old English word. It's treating something sacred and ultimate, treating it as holy. It's a request for the Father to help us, to praise him and adore him and think about him and represent him. 
It's a request to open the eyes of our hearts so we can see who he really is and not just treat him like any other human because he's not. It means to be captivated, astonished, and melted with grateful joy for who God is and that we actually are able to come into his presence. Do you know, we could not do that without grace. We could not come into God's presence and make any requests without Jesus, without his blood being upon us as we come. And that's part of what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. Is please, Lord, Father, remember what Jesus has done for me. So, when we're hallowing his name at the very beginning of the prayer, what you're saying is, help me make this about you and not about me. Help me see you as bigger. Help me see you for who you are. And that's what needs to come first when we pray. And all prayer should start with a knowledge of the character of God. All of our life should start. Every day should start with acknowledging that God is good and God is holy, that he's pure, that he's capable, that he's wise, that he's compassionate. Just remember who he is, and the day will go better, I can promise you. So Jesus was teaching us to pray, help us to give your name and character the honor that it deserves. Remember, this is how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. This is a prayer that only disciples can pray, because if you don't know who he is, you can't sanctify his name. If you don't understand him, it's really hard to praise him the way you need to. So part of this request is that we never dishonor God by taking his name upon ourselves and then acting in such a way that makes him not look good. Okay, you know anybody that's ever done this? The, the Christian guy that works with you that has a bad temper or talks terrible about other people or whatever. You know, Christians do this. We take his name, we say we're a Christian, and then we don't act like one. Okay, that is taking his name in vain just as much as profanity. So here's the rub. If we take the name of Jesus but misrepresent him, we're still not honoring his name. On one of our pastor's reports in northern New England, there was a box to answer, and I know you've heard this before, percentage of members involved in witnessing. And every month, Mark would write the same thing, 100%. Some are good witnesses, and some are bad witnesses. Right? 100% of you are witnessing. It's just what kind of a witness are you being? So... We take God's name in vain if we don't act like him, if we've taken it, if we swear by it and then tell a lie. And how many people under oath tell lies? You know, it's really horrible, you know, that people don't think the truth matters anymore. Or if we use his name in a curse instead of a blessing, that also misrepresents him. So notice the warning at the bottom of this commandment, this third commandment. It says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. 
So do any of the other commandments come with warnings? Like, if you do this, I'm not going to overlook it. This warning is here because I think God knew that our culture would degrade and that we would have everywhere around us people misusing his name. And he's saying, that bugs me. That bothers me. Don't do that. I can't overlook it. This is serious business. Whenever we make God a rubber stamp for our politics and, you know... Ever, ever seen the little campaign sign that says God, guns, and country? Do you think everyone who sees that has a, an accurate picture of God when his name is linked up with guns? <laughs> it's like, okay. Or we drag God into our crusades and call it holy. Or somebody put a Trump sticker on the bumper of my car here in this parking lot. So using church as a way to advance your ideology or using church as a way to further your business if you want to make contacts, all of those are ways we take God's name in vain. And sometimes people who are hostile to God like to find Christians that are blowing it so they can tell that story. So here's some examples. The Nazi soldiers in World War II had belt buckles that had Gott mit uns, which I wish Edith were here. She could tell us what that means. God is with us. Okay, they are trying to get God on their side. How'd that work for them? Um, A U.S. TV preacher said that Hurricane Katrina was God's judgment on all the horrible things that people did in New Orleans. How does that make God look? Um, A news anchor stated that evangelical Christians were the ones most likely to support torture. All right, when when Christians hit the news, it's often in a negative light. Another news report presented a statistical truth, the statement that Christians are no less likely to cheat on their taxes and their marriages or gossip about their neighbors. Uh, that may be true. How are we doing with that? But the fact that people want to point it out is misusing his name. It should make us sad when our father's name is misrepresented. And sadder still when it's us, when we are the ones who have misrepresented him. So to pray, hallowed be your name, is to ask God to make his true character known through me. Lord, let people see who you are, and please help me be like you so they can see who you are if they watch me. If God is going to bank his reputation on us, how are we doing? How are we doing? Martin Luther taught that all baptized Christians have God's name put upon them. So it's kind of like wearing a campaign hat that has his name right there. And do you remember um, in the Old Testament, the turban that they wore, what was written on the turban? Holiness to the Lord. Okay, if, if we had a turban around that said that, do you think we'd be a little more careful? 
It might be something to think about. As name bearers, we represent a good and holy God. And so we are praying for him for just for that day to keep us from dishonoring him. On this day, Lord, help me to act and talk like you would, please. It's not just our words, though. It's our whole life. It's our attitudes. So we need to start our prayers by remembering who he is and then remembering who we're praying to. Remembering how pure and mighty and loving and wise and patient and present he is. Remember who he is before you open your mouth to ask him for anything else. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he started here. Think about who God is. Yes, he is holy. But then think about everything else the Bible also teaches. All those attributes that are included in his name. So if we will do this, if we hallow his name first, it changes how we pray. It changes how we go about asking. Um, The Bible says that we will, when we see him for who he really is, we will become like him. Isn't that nice? When we truly understand God, that in itself is, is, has the power to transform our lives as well. So worship and adoration changes us from the inside out. And it also says that by beholding his unchanging, gracious holiness, we will become changed. We're transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Okay, this is talking about us, not him. That if we keep thinking and have our eyes on him, he can use what we learn, he can use that time in his presence to to change us, to work on who we are. Anybody need that? You know, I am a piece of work. And I find I'm even more of a piece of work when I skip my quiet time and I haven't turned my eyes on Jesus. You know, maybe you don't have that problem. You never skip your quiet time, right? But if you start feeling grumpy, there's a pretty good chance that if you would do that, it would help. So if you don't hallow God's first, if you instead just start praying your requests, asking for things, you'd be making petition, I've got needs and confession, I've got problems, But if you don't pray those things in the context of who God is, that is not prayer. That's worry. You're worrying in his presence. So you've got to start by saying, this is who you are. This is who you are for me. And I've got to think about you before I start talking to you. Hmm, novel idea. So when we spend time adoring God, it takes away our worries. When we lay our concerns at his feet and we know how wise and capable and powerful and amazingly compassionate he is, we know he's trustworthy. We know he's got it. And we can know we are safe. Jesus taught us to hallow his name because when we praise his character, it creates trust. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, Those who know your name will trust in you. Okay, 
So how do you increase your trust according to that verse? Pay attention to his names. Pay attention to all that he is. And then it says, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. That's a pretty good promise. So learn his names and your trust will grow. Or verse 11, uh, um, Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Run to a name? Or is it run to him by remembering all that his names include, everything about him that you know? Remember the name of the Lord. Everything is about him, not just the name itself. The psalmist will remember the nature and the character of God. He will remember what God is like, and that memory will give him courage. Anybody need courage today? So start by hallowing his name. Hallowing God's name solves the problems we think are insurmountable. It right-sizes every challenge. It right-sizes every need. God is always bigger than the problems that we face. Always. And God is always able to supply every need. So Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16, says this. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. Why? Because he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. All of those promises are linked to acknowledging his name. So I think we we would do well to think about these names more often. So this request, hallowed be thy name, is based upon the deepest need of the human world, which is to see God for who he is. Nothing can go right without this. His name can then be held in the highest possible regard. And we really need to do it. Martin Luther also taught, hallowed be thy name was a request that there would be more people who knew who God was so that they could praise him too. To be glorified among the nations as he is glorified among us. This is a request that God would help spread throughout the world the knowledge of Jesus and the knowledge of salvation. So more and more people would honor God and call upon his name. Every promise the Bible gives has God's guarantee upon it. It's backed by his own good name. His reputation is on the line. So imagine that you're a parent. You have a four-year-old that loves stuffed animals, and he especially loves giraffes. So you take that little boy into an F.A.O. Swartz toy store. Anybody been in an F.A.O. Swartz toy store? These amazing life-size stuffed animals that look just like the real thing. And you take that little boy there, and you find the giraffe, which would be his favorite, and you ask him, would you like that? 
You take the giraffe down from, from the shelf and you let him pet it. Do you want that, hon? And then, in a moment of capricious cruelty, you say to the little boy, I'm never giving you that stuffed animal. I'll spend the rest of my life making sure you never get that stuffed animal. You don't deserve that nice of a gift. You're a bad boy. What would you do if you saw a parent doing that? That's almost like it's emotional abuse. It's torture. It makes our blood boil just to think that a mom or a dad would treat their child this way. Our God is not capricious. He does not make promises just to slap us around with why we don't deserve them. That's not who he is. The fact that God is holy means he will not torment us by breaking the promises he's made. He won't promise us eternal life and then taunt us, but you're a bad boy. You're a bad girl. You blew it back there. He won't put that object of deep desire within our reach and then snatch it away and say, well, gotcha. You know, you wanted that, but you can't have it. His unwavering holiness, purity, and love that are all wrapped up in his name make it utterly safe to make requests in his presence. You can ask him for what you need and know that he will never use it against you. He never, ever will turn on you. To the contrary, Psalm 37, verse 4, promises us that if we will delight ourselves in him, when his reputation and character are given priorities in our prayer, when we praise him, when we delight in who he is, he will give us the desires of our hearts because our desires will have been put into perfect alignment with his desires. Praise is the inevitable result of the heart of a person who understands God and is living in dependence upon him. So, hallowing God's name is actually very simple. Ask him to show you who he is and keep seeking his face. And when you learn something new, use that as a name and praise him for it. Praise him every chance you get. Our secretary at the Brunswick Church found a plaque that she put on the wall in her office. It looked like this. In happy moments, praise God. In difficult moments, seek God. In quiet moments, trust God. And if in every moment, thank God. How many chances do we have to glorify his name? Constantly throughout the day. How many chances do we have to dishonor his name? Constantly throughout the day. It's our choice to use his name in a way that will let other people know who he is and make them want to honor him too. That's what we need to do. And he will help us. So, hallowed be thy name, God. May your name be hallowed in our lives and in this place. Okay, let's sing Let It Be Said of Us. <laughs>